Jesus loves me, this I I was determined to take him by surprise, and he went, whoa, and it turned me off. I saw that. Anyway, so good morning. You're not filling out the surveys anymore. Good morning. There you go. That's a little better. Hey, we're, we're, we are really crucial about getting facts right. Uh, first of all, I'm expecting a response out of this. Maddie Smith was baptized. Yeah, we got a new daughter, and it was not last night. It was 2.30 this morning. So that's an important factor. Uh, they decided, uh, she decided she had to right then. I'm going to say something about that in a minute. And then she calls Michael. No, that's not true. Michael wouldn't budge. She called April. And April, the pregnant lady, rolls over and says, Hey, Michael, somebody needs to be baptized at 2.30 in the morning. That's when he got up, and they came to the building, and she was baptized here. Great story, isn't it? That's a great... You know what I love about this is more and more you see people doing this. Well, I'll do this in two weeks, or I'll do this when I... What I love about it is that's the most biblical response is what she did. She discovered sometime in the night, this is something I've got to do. Let's do it right now. Let's not wait. That's exactly the pattern of Scripture. I love this when you say, hey, we're not, we're not waiting to some more convenient day. No, we've got to do it when we know it. So when you discover, and I think what it really was is she mistreats me all the time, and she realized what a great sinner she was for mistreating the preacher. And she said, i got to take care of this right now. And I said that this morning, and she didn't seem to agree. But I bet that's really what it was, and delighted to have her. But it's so funny to me how, uh, how different people can look at the same set of facts and come up to different conclusions. We're in Matthew chapter 11. Uh, and, and we're going to look at a few stories over the next three chapters, just a little bit of survey, because that's, you know, with the long survey that we did, well, that's all we can do in a sermon. But two people looking at the very same thing. One of them mesmerized and amazed, and the other one kind of ho-hum. Now, I remember the story that was written about one time. Philip Yancey writes about this. He was at Yellowstone, and, you know, they got Old Faithful that just spouts out this hot water from the earth. Ever, and it's, it, they've got it on schedule. Like, it's like we know when this goes off, Right? And so you're there, and you're just waiting, and everybody's got to listen. Here it comes. It's time. Boom! There's a massive explosion of hot water way up in the air, and everybody's ooh and ah. And then he, he looked over at a diner. They have a diner nearby. And there was this busboy person cleaning off tables, and he was just kind of yawning and cleaning off tables. And this amazing thing erupts. Woo! And he's just cleaning tables and yawning. Doesn't even look up to see it. Something amazing, something awesome is what people describe it as, and I don't like the word, but you know what? That is a God thing. So you got awesome right here, and some people don't even, don't even allow themselves to look up and see it. They've just grown so comfortable with it. The same thing amazes some, 
and bores others. Weird, isn't it? Imagine going to a, a Memphis Grizzlies game and the L.A. Lakers are in town and here you get to see LeBron James play, the great King James of basketball, right? The great guy that won the greatest of his generation and all these men know what's happening. All these fans know how significant it is. They pack the FedEx form and they're looking, they realize how, how incredibly momentous this occasion is and right next to the guy who's just going out of his mind is a woman reading the latest John Grisham novel. She couldn't care less about Larry James. I, I know it's LeBron. She doesn't. She doesn't even know his name. Doesn't even know the name. How in the world something so amazing? And you just miss it, right? There's... They're seeing the same thing, but they're not seeing the same thing. And at some point in the night, Maddie began to see some facts she's heard all her life, and she didn't see them the same way she did before. We're in this book of testimony. Matthew's getting us to believe in Jesus, and this section is so full of those stories. These are the stories we've told all our lives, and we've done at VBS, and we've, and we've reviewed, and we've done colors, and we've done different things about these. These are the great stories that we recall when somebody says, why do you believe Jesus is the Christ? And we, we, we pull up some of these stories. The man with the shriveled hand. The demon Jesus cast out of him and said, oh, it's by the power of Satan. No, no, no. And then they get in this great debate, and it's a wonderful scene of Scripture. And then the feeding of 5,000 people, men, there's many more, right? 5,000 men get fed by a very small amount of food. And, and John records that they were so amazed by this that we're going to make him king right then and there. Something amazing about having seen this. And then Jesus walking on the water, part of the tapestry that creates this wonderful picture that motivated all of us to believe Jesus is Lord. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. And we were immersed into the waters of baptism, calling on the name of the Lord, and we were believing in Him and submitting to His Lordship. Other people will look at that same story and go, oh, la, la, la. It's a fable, a fairy tale, a myth. And there were even people who saw it in living color, in real life. They had a front row seat, and they witnessed it. And they go, well, interesting, i got to go feed the baby, and went home and swept the house. How do you explain that some find it compelling and are willing to reorder their lives so that on Sunday morning, every Sunday morning, they trouble themselves to come together with like believers and gather around the table like Michael said, and so we celebrate the thing that unites us, and we go home and we live a certain kind of life. We reorder our life according to the will of Jesus, and other people look at that and say, I couldn't care less. How is it that some believe and some don't? In this same passage, what, all these great stories in these, this little section where, where our beliefs are strengthened, it says three times the people who were witnessed it were offended by Jesus. They just found him to be crude, obnoxious. They yawned and they moved on. Some witnessed and didn't believe, and that's partly because he just isn't like they expected him to be. The reading this morning was, we came, you know, we came and we sang the fast songs, and you said, those are too fast, and we sang the slow songs, and you said, they're too slow. There are people like this about church songs, too. I don't like the fast ones, I don't like this. What do you want? I don't know. 
John the Baptist came, he was ascetic, he didn't do anything, he walked prim and proper, and he was mean, and he was judgmental, and he was hard on sin. Oh, we don't like him, he's a little too hard on sin. And Jesus comes along, and he's eating with sinners and, and tax collectors, and he's, he's drinking with people, and he's a party guy. Oh, we don't like him either. What do you want? There are just some people that Jesus will never be what they wanted. They have this expectation list, this job description, this demand of who the Lord must be, and he doesn't fit it. And Jesus is rather complex, you know. A woman caught in the act of adultery, I mean in the act. They catch her, and they bring, him to, bring her to Jesus, and he says, I'm not going to condemn you. Go and sin no more. What? What? How can you be so loose and free with your morals, Jesus? And then... He's talking to some men and said, guys, if you just lusted after that woman who walked by, you've committed adultery in your heart. You need to pluck your eyes out to keep that from happening. What? Jesus isn't just, it just isn't peggable. He just isn't so predictable. You know exactly what he'll do, and some people can't stand it. He's just not who they want him to be. And so because of that, they just let him walk on by. Some people wouldn't believe because they wanted what they want, and they didn't want what they didn't want. I want the miracles. I want the excitement. I want the fun. I don't want the discipleship. I don't want the commitment. I don't want the work. And Jesus is a lot of work, right? We see the section right after the one that was read, verse 20 of Matthew 11. He says, you know those cities like Sodom and Gomorrah that we look at and we say, oh, they're so nasty and disgusting? Jesus says they would have repented if they'd seen the miracles you did. Miracles are not about amazement. Miracles are about discipleship and the lordship of Christ and following him. A lot of people want the excitement of faith. They don't want the commitment. Like the crazy story in chapter 12 where the man has his evil demon and he expels the demon from his life. Jesus helps him to expel the demon from his life and he cleans up his life and he gets it all cleaned out of the bad stuff, but he won't let Jesus live there. He won't let the Lord become Lord of his life. And because of that, these demons all come back later on and he's worse off later than he was before because he wanted the excitement of being free that Jesus will give you, but he doesn't want to learn how to live free by letting Jesus be Lord. We want some of what we want and we don't want the stuff. I want to take the Gospels and I want to take Jesus and I want to eat the parts I want and I want to spit out the bones I don't. But lordship means you've got to take it all. I take every bit of it. Some parts you don't like. So when the elders decide to have a mission report on Sunday night and you're like, I think mission reports are boring. I think I'll skip. Excuse me? Is that not worship too? Are you not concerned about the mission stuff? I, I'm going to come to church, but, but, but I'll, I'll really come to that devotional if they have fish. Or if they'll feed me or something. I want what I want, and I don't want what I don't want, and Jesus won't let you have that option. He won't give you, it's A, take me, B, don't take me, C, take parts of me and not parts of He won't let you do that. It's either A or nothing. And so it's because of that some people just hit the road and kept walking. It takes some work to understand Jesus. That's another one. Jesus tells these parables, and, and he tells parables so that some people won't understand. I know that's weird, isn't it? We need to preach messages that people in the world, if they came in, won't get. And people get mad when we preach a lesson that an outsider won't get. But shouldn't we do that sometimes? 
I don't expect to go to some law seminar and understand everything a lawyer would get, but I don't expect them to dumb it down for me. You have a law thing for law people. We come together on Sunday mornings to hear what the gospel has to say to us. We've embraced Jesus as Lord. We say together, Jesus is Lord, and we mean it, and we, we have a, le- a lesson that says, if we take the word seriously, this is what lordship means. And some people say, well, I just don't get that. I, I, if you're not a member, I don't expect you to get that. If you've never submitted to the lordship, I don't expect you to get it. There's certain things that people who haven't bowed their knee to the Lord will not get here. But even when you come into the kingdom, there are some things that are confusing, aren't there? How many would say there's some stuff in the Bible you just don't get? Anybody willing to say that? Even our Bible adult class teachers, they don't. And even Peter says of Paul, boy, he's got some heavy stuff in his letters that I just don't get. So what does a disciple do when he runs across something he just doesn't get? Well, that's what the parables were. Jesus says to the disciples, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom. So you'll understand these parables, but here's the funny thing is, they didn't. They didn't get the parables any better than an outsider did. So what does a disciple do when something stumps them? They go to Jesus' feet and stay there until they get it. That's what you do. The disciples come inside the house, it says, and they say, Jesus, we just don't get this parable. Can you explain this to us? The only difference between a disciple and a person who's an outsider who doesn't understand that same scripture is a disciple won't leave because he's a little bit confused or uncertain right now. I will not leave because Jesus says something that challenges me a little bit and I don't understand it. I am going to wait and struggle with this till I get it or till I see him face to face and he explains it. I'm not going to leave over difficult teaching. Have you decided this yet? Have you decided this yet as a church? I'm not going to leave because I don't understand something. Because his lordship means there are certain things about him that will always be a mystery. Can you live with it? Do you have to master him before you will become his disciple? If you do, you will never be his disciple because he is always going to be Lord even when you are someone who understands him as much as you can. You just hang in there and you wait until you get this. There's this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2 where Paul tells Timothy, he's speaking in riddles. He says two or three different illustrations, and he says, I tell you what, reflect on what I'm saying, and the Lord will give you insight into all this. You know what he's saying to Timothy? Go back and read and memorize the previous six verses? No. He's saying there's some things I'm saying to you. It's going to take you some time, and if you will grapple with it long enough, the Holy Spirit will give you some meaning. One of the things Bill Berry says to me all the time is, I'm 92, I read the Bible different than you. I see things you can't see. You think that's true? Do you think there's a guy who's lived his life 92 years, when he reads scripture for the umpteenth time, he sees a little more differently how a word or a verse applies to his life than a person who's 45? I kind of think so. I kind of think he does, and I think every time you read it, you discover new things that you didn't see before because you've got different experiences going on, and that's the way it is. It takes some work to understand this, and some people wouldn't put the work in and said, if it doesn't come easy, I'm out of here, and there's a lot of people who do this. As soon as something doesn't come easy, I quit, and they do that with the faith. Some people didn't believe because, 
quite honestly, the demands were too rigorous. I want you to look at chapter 13 as he explains the parable of the soils, verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. He's thrilled to death. He loves the faith. What, who wouldn't love the good news, right? Yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. He loves it at first. It doesn't demand anything of him. He doesn't really realize what it's going to change in his life, and he accepts it, and he embraces it. I'm a Christian, and he's red hot, and he can't wait to, to, to take it home and apply it. And then all of a sudden, he realizes how meddlesome the gospel becomes. There's this line that says, when it costs me this much, if I have to step over this line, and it costs me this much, I am not going to do it. I quit. It's an auction, you know. The bid just got too high for me. Jesus as Lord means he's going to ask more of you over time than you think. And you are already saying, just like that husband and wife standing before each other, they're going to say to each other, I don't know what all changes are going to happen, what, how difficult life's going to become. I don't know what kind of challenges we'll face that will just knock us on our rears. I don't know, but I do know this. I'm going to be with you 40 years from now if we're both alive. That's what you're saying. You have no clue what it's going to cost. And you know what you're saying when you, immerse your, you, you allow yourself to be immersed in the waters of baptism? You say, God, I don't know where you're going to take me. I don't know what you're going to demand of me, but I'm saying to you right now, I'm going to be with you till I die. It's going to cost you more than you think, and the demands can get pretty rigorous. And some of those who heard this said, no, I'm not doing that. Finally, there are some who are just simply too familiar with him. Those who are from his hometown, chapter 13, verse 57. A prophet is without honor in his own hometown, right? They grew up with him. How can he be the savior of the world? We saw him grow up since he was in kindergarten. I taught him in second grade, right? I know him too well. I know too many things about him, and I can't learn from him. And there are people, I'll tell you, this is the one that gets most of the people who grew up in the church. If you have grown up in the church, this is the challenge for you. Can he still teach you something? Can he still knock you on your tale because he teaches you something you didn't see before. It's funny how the older son and the prodigal son story, the older son has been slaving away for his father all his life, and, and when the prodigal comes back and his dad throws a party, what he realizes is he never knew his father at all. How can that be? Or think of the people who knew the law so well, the priests and the Levite. They've studied the law all their lives, and as they're walking along the road, they see this guy who was beaten up, and they say, well, the law says if I touch him, I'll become unclean. The law says I need to go to worship today, and so they pass him up. They knew the law so well they didn't help him, but they didn't know the law well enough that they should have. There are people who handle the law and the things of God so much, and we think we know it, we think we've mastered it, and we miss the lordship altogether. I'll tell you an example again from marriage. A husband will be reading Ephesians chapter 5, and it says she has to submit to him, and he stops reading, and he thinks he knows what that means. Rule his house with an iron fist. You don't know Jack. Or maybe I should say you don't know Jesus. Because he's the pattern of that discipleship. You've got to read a little further along, and you've got to be a soft-hearted person. And sometimes we think we've got Jesus so mastered. We know what he'll do with this case or that case, do you? Can he teach you anything anymore? 
these people saw this in living color in actual time. They had a front row seat to all these teachings and these amazing actions, and they walk away untouched and unmoved by what they saw. And I wonder if there's anybody here like that. You've talked about this all your life. You've been going to church somewhere all your life. That's why you're here. You've heard these stories all your life, but it's never touched your heart. It's never pricked your heart in such a way that says, you know what, I believe from these stories he really is who he is. Why is it that some of us really do say Jesus is Lord and reorder our lives and others of us just kind of stay nominal all our lives? We kind of stay at the fringes. We never really get serious about it. Why is that? I think when I look at these passages, there's a few things that Jesus says in here. First of all, you take those Old Testament scriptures and what they say about Jesus, and you look at the life of Jesus, and you are so compelled by the fact that God wrote the script hundreds of years before he came, and then he fulfilled it perfectly. You put that together, and I'm one who says, aha, he really is everything God says he was. I have to believe because of Old Testament prophecy, that, that anchors me more than anything else. On the days when I wonder, is he all that? Yeah, he's all that. Look at what he said before he came and what he did. But even Jesus himself says, wisdom will be judged by the fruit. And he go, later on says in chapter 12, judge a tree by its fruit. And when you look at the life of Jesus and the impact he made in the world, how can you not believe in him? He goes on to say in chapter 11 that the judgment's going to come. And what's the dividing line of judgment between those who make it and those who don't into, into eternal life? It's Jesus himself. Do you believe in him? Do you believe he came and that he came to give rest and not more work to do? That he did the actions of redemption and atonement by dying on the cross? That what he calls the sign of Jonah in chapter 12? And that now he yokes himself with us, and together with him we make it to where God is. I believe this. I look at all this stuff, and apparently Maddie decided this at some point in time. She looked at all this evidence and says, I, I have no other conclusion than to believe he's Lord. Have you decided this? You believe with me Jesus is Lord, do you? Amen, right? Jesus is Lord. Can you say it with me? Jesus is Lord. If you believe that because the evidence, there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father by Him. You believe that? If you believe that, then you've responded. But there are others looking at that same stuff, and they say, no, I don't believe any of that. And Jesus gives kind of the diagnosis Himself. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. There are some who just can't hear it. Can you? story was told of a telegraph operator who needed help. He was so overwhelmed, he put out this ad for people to come and apply. You needed to be able to do the telegraph machine already. They weren't going to teach it. They just wanted to hire another one. So this man decides, I can do it. I need a job. So he walks in. The telegraph office is going. There's customers coming and going. And there are also people applying for the job lined along the wall. And he saw a sign that said, fill out the application and then await an interview. And so he filled out the application and he stood in line, took his place like all the others along the wall. And he just waited. He waited four or five minutes and suddenly he up and went back into the office door, went through the office door back into the office. And everybody else was like, what are you doing? We've been here since early this morning waiting. What are you doing walking in there? 
They were thinking it. They weren't saying it. A few minutes later, he walks back out with the interviewer and says, the interviewer looks at him and says, you can all go home. We found our guy. We've hired him, and the position is filled. And these guys were like, we've been here all morning. What well, how can he just walk in there? And the guy looked at him and said, I've been telegraphing over the intercom the whole morning, all morning. If you understand this, come and take this job. If you understand this, come and take this job. And you guys have ignored me the entire time. And what I find in the gospel is gospels, the gospel is God's, God is, is, is calling the entire world. He calls everybody. He's calling to a lost world, come, I want you to come to my son and find rest, and he will fulfill everything for atonement and sin. He will take care of your sin problem. I just want you to come, and the gospel is like that. You can, you can influence people through the church, and you can influence people through your life, but they cannot come to Christ without coming through Scripture. Is that not true? You've got to believe that. And through Scripture, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, God is telegraphing through the gospel, the story of Jesus and what he's willing to do. And he's telling that unto all the world through every sermon and through every time Scripture is read or, or is re read or it's, or it's proclaimed in any way. He's just calling, calling, calling. And some people just aren't hearing, but some people do. You heard and you responded and God chose you. He calls everybody, and everybody responds, God chooses. That's how it works. It's not some kind of weird predestination thing. He's calling all the world through the gospel, and everyone who comes, he chooses. question is not, why did those people who saw him and heard him not respond? The question is not, why do some people hear today and not respond? The question is, have you heard and are you going to respond? To believe or not to believe, it's all whether you have ears to hear. Have you heard? Do you have ears to hear? When it comes to believe or not to believe, which are you? The choice is yours, and it's constantly ticking away. God's saying, I'm calling you to myself. The question is, are you going to come as we stand and as we sing?